Thank you, Jesus. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 38, a familiar story, but a very important passage of Scripture for us this day. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto a servant, Set on the great pot, and seeth pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine. And gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. Would you say that today? For they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot and said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. And I'm preaching today from this simple thought, the cure for a poisoned pot. Amen. Let's set our Bibles aside and one more time before we're seated, lift up our voice and thanksgiving for what the Lord is about to do in this sanctuary. Amen. Why don't you start thanking him right now? If you're sick, thank him for healing. If you're discouraged, thank him for encouragement. Amen. Just begin to thank God for what you need. I believe God's going to provide it for us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. 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 Hallelujah. I already feel an anointing setting upon us. Praise God. I believe God's going to release apostolic ministry in this service today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience and standing. Our text, particularly 2 Kings chapter 4, is kind of a brief synopsis of a period of time in the ministry of Elisha. It is not one day nor weeks, but it appears that it could be over a period of time. We look and we find that there are significant events and stories, testimonies, if you would, uh, that share with us the ability of God to move in radical and drastic situations. If we were to take just this chapter and we were, we were to read verse 1 through 7, we would find that it's here that Elisha helps a prophet's widow who was broke and has no money. And so she pours out of an empty vessel and there's an anointing that sets upon it and the need is met. We jump right down to verse 8 through 17. We find that Elisha encounters a Shunammite woman and she is barren and promises her a son. And then as soon as we move past that in 18 through 37, we find that it's here that that promise passes away and then God miraculously raises that child from the dead. And now in our text, we find that Elisha operating under the anointing of God cures a poison pot. I find it very ironic and significant in the connectivity that long before Jesus 
as we heard so preach last night so ably long before he ever took fishes and loaves and broke them it was in the conclusion of our chapter here particularly in verse 42 through 44 that elisha is brought 20 barley loaves and he's brought 20 ears of corn and yet he miraculously feeds 100 men and the bible said there is leftovers what a chapter of miracles these stories are here for us today because they show us that god rules in the midst of every situation and that god rules over all deficiencies in our lives and with this in mind this morning i want to preach to you for a little while that we are dealing with a world that is full of problems and we're dealing with situations and issues that don't have quick answers and we don't have to have the wisdom of the wise i can't stand here today and tell you that i know who's going to be the next president because the truth of the matter is it really doesn't matter whoever is president god will still be on the throne well maybe i need to preach some of you out of politics today i said god will still be on the throne and what we need to understand is that although we are facing very very big questions and there's a lot of uncertainty we are not overwhelmed nor are we unequipped to deal with it if we will simply follow after the theme of second kings chapter 4 we too will see god perform miracles like we've never seen before because if you will follow the common thread in every story every story always involves the line of obedience every aspect of the miraculous requires obedience to what the word of god states why is that so important because if we read in ephesians chapter 2 if we were to read a little further in ephesians chapter 5 and then if we were to turn over to colossians chapter 3 we will find that in these two epistles there is a generation of children that are mentioned but the mentioning of them is this is a children of disobedience I'm going to tell you today that what's binding people's lives up is not demonic force, but it's disobedience. And what we need to determine this morning is that we're going to be the people of obedience. We're going to be the children of obedience. Whatever God says, we're going to do it. Wherever God tells us to go, we're going to go. Whatever God tells us to do, we're going to do it. Whatever God says, we're come on why don't you shout out obedience right now why don't you shout out obedience let the heavens resound that we are mind where my minds are made up we're going to be the children of absolute obedience i'm not preaching future tense i'm not preaching later on i'm preaching that today because i feel like some of us are going to be talked to by 
by God in this service. And there are some people that God's going to speak to you while I'm preaching. And you've got to have a heart that's willing to obey. You've got to have your mind made up. When God talks, I'm going to do it. I don't care how crazy it seems. I don't care how foolish it may appear. I'm just going to do what the word of the Lord speaks. There's no question that our world is in a state of confusion. But that confusion ought to end at our church doors. That spirit of confusion ought not to encroach upon our pews. And this world is confused. And we look around and and we try to figure it all out. And it doesn't make any sense to us. Because we're not confused. And so when you see confused people, and you try to judge it from a position of sanity, it doesn't make any sense. They've gone to the well. The world keeps going to the well of promises. And they keep drawing up empty buckets. And the world tells them, if you'll do this, you'll get your answer. And they pull up another empty bucket. Meanwhile, while they're working to find an answer, the situation has become critical. They're not in better shape because they're running to and fro. They're living in dry places. They're drawing water out of empty wells. They're reaching down for something that doesn't exist. And then we look around at our world and we say, I can't figure it out. Well, let me tell you something. It's just the atmosphere of confusion. We need to be careful, and I don't have all the answers, and there's a lot of wise men over here to my left and even out in this auditorium today, and they can straighten me out. If I'm wrong, I can be corrected. But I'm going to tell you that we need to be careful that we don't start judging the world and assigning confusion as their character. Because there are some people out there right now that are doing things because they've been told that will help them. And we're quick to look down our noses at some people, but we need to put ourselves in their shoes for just a little bit. Because before God got us in our right minds, some of you would blow your entire paycheck on a Friday night. And that's insanity. And that confusion that reigns and rules our world today is causing people to look around and do things that are crazy. And so now, because there's so much confusion, they start accepting the belief that one can choose their own gender regardless of God's biological law in Genesis 1 and 27. And then confusion leads people to forget that if you read Genesis chapter 1 and 27, you will find that because God gave them order and he created them male and female, the very next verse is the blessing. And so the enemy tries to cause confusion in 27 so they can never get to 28. 
He promised them blessing. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you dominion and authority. And because the enemy knows that mankind has been given the ability to have dominion and authority over his kingdom. He tries to get them confused. And so now in our world today, they're confusing gender. And we're all bent out of shape over bathrooms. It doesn't matter. It's just a matter of confusion. We got to get our eyes off the problem and we got to get back to what works. We got to get back to what to straighten it all out. You got to get back to what to put them in the right mind. You got to get them. It doesn't matter what bathroom they go into. Their problem's not the restroom. It's confusion. People living in not just random confusion, but generational confusion. And they start looking, as my father said so well, I was reflecting on it. Here I am today preaching the same gospel my great-grandfather preached. I never met him. I've never shaken his hand. I did not hear him preach until about four years ago. And a cousin of mine sent me a CD. And I sat in my office and heard my great-grandfather preach for the first time as tears ran down my face. And I thought... That gospel works. Because here I am. What a legacy. Well, let's flip it over this morning. There are people today living in another legacy. Generations of confusion. When you get confused and all you know to do is to drink yourself and do an altered state of mind the next generation comes up with other issues of confusion. And it's just a matter of time, folks, where confusion begins to reign in such degrees. And I don't say this because I joy in this. I say this because I've read my Bible. It's not going to get better. You hear me? I don't care if you change presidents. You've still got a sin problem. It's not going to get better. I said, it's not going to get better for them. And this confusion that's reigning, that's causing people to do crazy things, they don't even know who they are. Regardless of their biological structure, I'm from California, and uh, I was raised 50 miles south of San Francisco. Some of you are just now getting acquainted with things that we were intimately exposed to in the 70s. I worked for a contractor when I was, my cousin was, was a contractor and doing uh, some high-rise buildings in San Francisco and he asked me if I'd work for him for a few days and I said sure and we went and my job was to get paint. He was a flooring contractor and the painting contractor had got some paint on the floor and so they paid me to go in the bathrooms and use this really potent chemical to strip the, the paint off the floor. And so what it involved, it involved me going and working for 10 minutes and then going sitting on the fire escape for 30 minutes. Why they didn't give me a gas mask, I'll never know. And so I would go in there and work for 10 minutes and strip as much as I could, then I'd have to get out because the fumes were so strong. And then I'd go sit out on the fire escape and look over the corner of the heart of the gay district in San Francisco. And I watched for hours that day. Perversion. 
confusion. Confusion. And it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse because you see everybody's let them down. Hang on, bear with me for a little bit here today. I'm not preaching a down message, but I want us to get a clear picture of what we're dealing with. If we're going to fix the poison, we've got to know how deep it goes. And so, you look out and you see people that are running and they've promised them that if they will get an education, that they'll be cured and they can think new. But the problem is they get educated and they just find old philosophy. And then they tell them if they can get ahead, the financial world promises them the American dream, but it only delivers the same old broken home. And the religious world promises them answers, but only delivers them dead ritual. And the political world promises answers, but only delivers a population of frustrated people. And I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to tell you that the answer to the racial divide that's plaguing our country is not for us to pick sides, it's for us to be the church. Because the church is the unifying message of the world. Because in the church, it doesn't matter what color you are. In the church, it doesn't matter what language you speak. In the church, it doesn't matter what culture you're coming from. Because you see, the church has the universal culture. And we're no longer bond or free or Jew or Greek, but we're all one in Christ. And so in the church, there is no color except red. And in the church, there is no culture except the apostolic people. And we are the unifying force. Don't you let the confusion of the politicians get you to start thinking things. You got to get to the church. And if you really want to get your head on straight, you got You know, revival, I'm going to stop here. Forgive me if I'm getting off. I'm not too much. My wife warned me. She said, just stay on track. Well, this is beside the track. You know, revival requires change. Yeah. See, we want revival as long as it comes right down middle America, middle class, no offense, white people. Okay, we'll take the brown people too and we'll take the black people. They all got to speak our language. Because it just, you just, it's just hard to have church service when you got translation going on and it dis- it distracts us. I know where I'm at because I've stood in this pulpit and preached against hunting before. You think I'm intimidated preaching against racism? I'm not afraid. In fact, I felt God tell me, deal with it. Until you're ready to take anybody. God won't give you everything but when we say God if you send it we'll figure out how to keep them you know what there needs to be in the apostolic church in 2016 there needs to be a cry that comes from our hearts that says just send us revival we don't care what comes 
I have friends who pastor Spanish-speaking churches, and I've told them countless times, why do you hate white people so much? Well, what are you talking about? You won't have an English-speaking service. But I'm having a Spanish-speaking service. And I don't speak Spanish. But God gave me people in my church that do. I'm a priest to some of you right now. Yeah, you need to quit sitting in your pew right now and making the pastor figure it all out. You need to be the first one off your pew running to the pastor saying, there's some folks that don't understand what's going on, but if you'll let me, I'll go sit with them and I'll translate all service. I'll tell them it may not be perfect, but the Holy Ghost, it speaks every language. The Holy Ghost can get them when they can't understand the words you're saying. I start praying. See, Santa Clara County is the predominant, the predominant race is, is Hispanic, Latin, and in that pot there's a lot of different people. Spanish speaking, not all the Latins and all of the Mexicans speak Spanish, but that's the predominant. And then the second group is Asian. White people are way down there. So I start praying, God, give us revival in the Asian community. God, if you'll send them, we'll take them. Give us revival. So a little lady started coming. She'd come to church. You couldn't talk to her because she didn't speak the language. She couldn't talk to us. But he could talk. She just kept coming. And then God sent a lady. She started coming. She'd come quit, go on story. She came back. There's so much to this. I don't have time to preach it all. God starts stirring up a Chinese seminary. The greatest racism. This is why the apostolic church has got to break it. Because culturally, they're already caught in racism. Because the Chinese believe it doesn't matter if you're preaching the truth or not. Their culture is superior, so you should go to their church. That's racism. We start teaching the Bible study. They start coming. They start getting baptized. The professors were in, they were, they were just, mind, they couldn't figure it out. Because they're coming and they barely speak any English. And you're trying to help them. And this lady, she's not very good at it. She's back there translating. But like I'm telling you, we forget all the scriptures that said God working with them. You say, well, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe we're not, maybe we're not supposed to know what we're doing. Maybe we're just supposed to do what we know. Maybe we're just supposed to preach the gospel without fear and favor. Maybe we're just supposed to worship with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
So we don't have anybody that really speaks Mandarin Chinese fluently. But we have a man in our church whose father lives all the way in Massachusetts that goes to an apostolic church there. And he speaks Mandarin fluently. And so every Saturday night, Brother Jeff Wang gets on Skype and teaches an apartment full of Mandarin-speaking Chinese people a Bible study. And about three or four of our saints are trying to figure it all out. And they know a little bit enough to help them get to church. But I'm going to tell you, that Bible study, we baptized about eight or nine of them in Jesus' name. And they're getting the Holy Ghost because... Give us revival. Just give us your revival. Listen to me. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I read the eight progressive steps of genocide. And America is positioning herself right now to commit genocide. That's why the church... That's why the church needs to be the antithesis of genocide. The opposite of genocide is, he thought I was worth saving. Genocide. The confusion is leading so many people into places. I don't want to cast stones at anybody today, but there's a generation and I'm going, to preach, I'm going to preach to Pentecostals today. I'm not going to preach to anybody else. I'm preaching to Pentecostals. I have no problem. I found myself, I am the, I know there's elders, thank God Brother Bass and Brother Ballester, or my dad and all of them are preaching because that knocks me down in elder weeks. That knocks me down in the, the totem pole of age. But I just figured out I was the oldest main service speaker. That's not very comforting because I'm just a year older than Brother Joyner. So I know there's a generation shift here. Bear with me. 
And there are some things that take place in my church. I freely tell people, I don't get it. But everybody shouts, so we're going to do it. It doesn't get me, but it gets somebody. So I think there might be a generation gap here. I'm not talking about compromise. So I'm preaching about doing things a little different. I'm okay with people doing it different. You can sing about the blood how you want to sing about it. But when it connects, it better go back to the same old rugged cross that I was at. And you may sing about it with a, with a different line going out. But you better end up at the same place that I, I got a problem when you're different takes me over here. Instead of back over here to the cross, the old rugged cross, you can sing it how you want to, but you better go back to it. You can sing how you want to, but you better still believe in it. You can sing how you want to, but you still better preach it. You still better believe without it. We can't be saved. What concerns me is because there are Churches, I'm going to preach to the preachers that are on platform. There are churches that are dying in droughts. And now there's another generation coming up. And they're telling them, we need to eat. Go get us something to cook. And they're running to the Christian bookstore. And coming back and saying, this is what everybody's eating. And you can eat it, and it may not kill you, but it will not empower you. And so people said, I eat it, and I'm not dead. Yeah, but you're almost there. You're just one good bout with some moment of carnality, and you're going to go down, 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 because your immunity is suppressed. Because we've, we've replaced the old-fashioned fire of anointing with a new generation of intellectualism, and it's killing. I said, it's killing. It's killing a generation of apostolics. If the Holy Ghost is moving, we should shout. We should dance. We should run. But if you are not anointed, you should stop your jumping and stop your jigging and quit getting your cues from the unrighteousness that's found in the wilderness and now we've I'm, the, the pastor just told me I was preaching I'm going to preach it and now we got a generation that thinks because everybody on the platform's doing the Holy Ghost bunny hop that we're having a move of the Holy Ghost and they all want to come down here and bunny hop with them but I'm not against shouting but you better be anointed while you're doing it you better be shouting because you feel the Holy Ghost not because you're trying
And this statement is not anti-education because I'm pro-education, especially apostolic education. But there will never be a school that can give you enough classes, that can give you an anointing. Now, I'm going to stop here. Get your education, but get your anointing. In fact, get your anointing first, and then go get your education, and you'll know what to do with it. Get your anointing first, and then go to school and become a doctor, become a lawyer, become whatever, but you better be anointed first. And I'm telling you right now, we can never replace the old-fashioned anointed Word of God with an intellectually stimulated generation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass that buck on. I'm going to take that buck on me today as a pastor. If I don't want my young people looking for alternative solutions to the hunger, then I better make sure when I step to this pulpit, I'm providing what they're looking for. I said, when they come to the house of God, mom and daddy, you sit there like bumps on a log and you wonder why your teenagers don't want to go to church. It's because they can't find it in what you're trying to serve them. I'm telling you, I'm preaching it today about everybody. We have no right to be charismatic. We have every right to be apostolic. And we have no right to claim to be apostolic if we're not going to be the A solution in a drought in times of desperation. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to make sure that everybody understands the motive behind my message today. I'm not taking issue with people that are ignorant enough doing things because they don't know what else to do. I'm talking about people that quit praying. And let me tell you something. When you don't pray, and you eat everything they serve out of the wilderness, it's hard to pray. So it's easier to get it out of a book, not the Bible, another book. Because you don't have to pray to find something to say. But if you want a word from the Lord, you got to get in your prayer closet. You got to sanctify yourself. You got to purge yourself. You have to create a clean heart within yourself. And you have to seek after the fresh fire of the Holy Ghost. And there's a generation that's seeking. But I'm going to tell you if we're going to stay apostolic, our forefathers taught us how to eat. We got to eat like they taught us. We can't let the drought cause us to go looking for things. I was taught that if you want water, dig a well. If you want a crop, sow a field. If you want revival, be apostolic. If you want apostolic revival, keep walking in the old paths. Keep looking for the old landmarks. Nothing's changed except the world around us. We're still the old-fashioned Pentecostals. It was old-fashioned then. It's old-fashioned now. It's always going to be out of fashion with the world. But it's what works. I said it's what works.
and I'm hurrying. You know, I felt today, I, I really questioned my own spirit, and I, I questioned God, because sometimes I wonder if he knows what he's doing. But I really felt today, and I, I'm going to do it here, I felt to preach to a, a younger generation for a few minutes. Because here's where we got to change our terminology. You're not apostolic. You're the answer. The people I'm preaching to right now are the answer to homosexuality. You are the answer to abortion. You are the answer to drug addiction. You are the answer to divorce. We're the answer. I want everybody in this building today that's under 35, would you just stand? 35 and under, stand up. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Stand for a second. Half? At least half? Over half of this crowd here is 35 and under. So all of you that say young people don't want this, you better check that at the door. Because it's Sunday morning. This ain't the elder service. This is a youth service. I said this is a youth service. This is a generation that says I want that old time religion. I want that old fashioned apostolic message. I want those old paths. I'm going to preach to some of you for a little bit. You can be seated. But you know who I'm talking to now. I've always said this, Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, we connect ourselves to them because this was that spoken by the prophet Joel. This is Peter's response to what is going on. He said it was what Joel talked about. And then Acts repeated it. I'm telling you that the importance of both of those scriptures is that it not only prophetically told us of this day, it prophetically told us that there's coming a new generation. It prophetically said it wasn't just going to be a bunch of old white men, white-haired men, any kind of man standing on the sideline weeping because it's not done the way their fathers did it. It's a new generation. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise up a new thing in the last days. And it's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's not just going to be for the elders. They're going to have dreams, but it's going to be for the young men. And it's going to be for the young women. And they're not only going to have dreams. Listen. He said, these are the two ways you will define this new generation. It is a prophetic and a visionary generation. Why is this so important? It's because this generation right now, the enemy is trying to kill. He's trying to destroy this generation. If you were to go to Exodus and read Exodus chapter 1, I believe it's 15 to 22, it's the story of Pharaoh looking around at Israel and saying, man, this thing's growing too fast. This thing's growing, it's getting out of hand. It's getting out of hand. We got to do something. Well, how do you stop something from growing? Kill its babies. So he pulls in, I believe it is uh, 
I got their names written down somewhere. He pulls in these two midwives. And he says, listen, every, every, every Israelite woman that has a baby, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. And those two midwives walked out of there and said, no. See, we think it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that looked that king in the face and said, no. But there's been people saying, no, for generations. And before they ever came out of the world, there was a generation that said, no, we're not doing it like that. There were some, some midwives, hang on, I'll get to you in just a minute, that said, no, we're not. And the Bible said that God looked down on those two midwives and he said, those are my kind of ladies. And the Bible said that God, are you ready? God built them, God made them houses. God, God made them houses. God made them houses. Not Syntex homes, not Pharaoh. God said, I'll bless these two women because they said no to the spirit of genocide in this primary critical hour. I'm about to bring my children out. I'm about to raise up a generation of deliverers. And the devil's trying to kill my babies. But I'm going to put it in the heart of some churches. I said, I'm going to put it in the heart of some churches. That say, no, you can't have my children. Everybody that's born lives. Everybody that lives is going to go forward. Nobody's going to talk us into killing our babies. There's a spirit of genocide that's trying to wipe out young preachers. Come here, Seth. Come here, Aiden. Come here, Lane. All my kids are getting up here, not because they're perfect. It's because they're obedient. Come up here. Not half obedience, whole obedience. They're, they're humiliated. But I'm the dad. There comes a point in time when you start letting him develop a good three-point shot and get some leaps on him. And he starts breaking for the whole good, playing ball good. And coaches start coming to him. We want you. Come on, why don't you play? I know. I was, I was going to junior college, and my dad would have had me as a... Uh, a paid slave at the church. I mean a minister. And uh, I won't even tell you how little I made. I'm just lucky to be alive. I'm joking. It's an inside joke. I wouldn't trade anything for that. But I remember going to JC and the coaches. Because one of the coaches from the junior college would come out and play ball with me at the park. And I would, he, would, he would come and he'd get mad because I'd show his boys up. And in fact, one of his ball players came over to him one day and goes, man, you got to show me that move because my coach is killing me, bro, because I can't stop you. And he was like, you should just walk on. You should just come play ball. You could get on. We, you'd make the team. Don't think for a second I didn't go. Hmm. It's like when Seth was a kid, we said, 
what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I'm either going to play in the NBA or be a preacher. <laughs> There's no real medium area in that, that dream. You can see what won. So, we get a bunch of people now cheering on these kids. And whether it's, whether it's in volleyball, whatever, and I got a good friend, I play ball, he's a great guy. He, he's just a sinner. He goes to church. He don't know any better. He's got three kids. They're all huge. Both boys, 6'10". His daughter, 6'5". They've all played at Cal State Berkeley, playing water polo. And far as I know, they're on the Olympic team right now playing water polo. I mean, these guys are studs. And his daughter's an incredible athlete. And it was all from their youngest years. Yeah, and, and, and playing on this team and playing in this league and driving to this swim practice and driving to that swim practice. And we'll sit there and run our kids all around to do that. But then when they get the call of God in their life and they come to you and they say, Mom and Dad, I don't know if I can go back to school next semester. I feel a touch of God. God, I feel God dealing with me to give my life to Him. And we start looking at Him saying, what's wrong with you? Son, you've got to have an education. I know that. But I'm telling you right now, we need to cheer the generation on that's coming out. Because God saved them in the birthing process. I said, God's saving them. He's sending some churches that are saying, no, you can't preach the gospel. No, you can't preach the gospel. Yes, you can be a missionary. Yes, you can. I'm going to tell you, it didn't start with me. I didn't plan on this in any family show. Come, Dad, come out here for a second. How old were you when you preached the first revival? 17. 17. But you know what? I think he preached a mercy revival when he was younger than that. Because how old were when you, they, they asked you to come? Who's the family friend? You rode the bus over and preached. They got that picture? He was 13. He was 13. A family friend, I think, invited him over and said, we want you to come preach for us at 13. Any pastors out there finding a 13-year-old saying, he's 14. Brother Seth, you think you could come over and preach for us this weekend? I'm not putting him on the spot. Brother Layden, can you come preach for me this weekend? Sister Lane, can you, can you come teach a Sunday school class? Because we've got to understand something. If we don't start using them, the devil will start using them. If we don't start using them, the devil will start using them. If we don't get him involved, the devil has plenty of opportunities. That's why we got to be the church of the midwives. That says, no, no, no. we got a poison pot to deal with. But that spirit didn't end with Pharaoh. You can be seated. That spirit didn't end with Pharaoh because rumor had it there was a king going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And Herod looked around and said, hmm, a new king. You know why Herod was so worried? Because he had no blood right to the throne. He was a tyrant. He wasn't even a Jew. And he's, he gets his advisors and says, I hear there's a, there's a baby going to be born that's going to be king of the Jews. I won't be replaced by anybody. So he says, I want you to go, I want you to kill every baby. And the Bible said there was wailing because the babies were dead. Because if that spirit can get in, it will get in.
You don't think the devil's out in front of this church service right now? You don't think he's already hijacked some young people that should be here right now hearing me preach about giving their life to God? They slept in this morning and they should have been here. Years ago when I was in the middle of my rebellion, went to youth conference, slept in one day, didn't go to the day service. My cousin, who was as big a reprobate as I was, he went to church that day. He came out of church and he walked up to me and he said, you should have been there this morning. He said, because that preacher was preaching to you. But God is great in mercy. And he preached to me again. Don't you think the devil's got somebody hogtied today? Because he's not going to let another king come out of Bethlehem. There ain't nobody going to replace me. Because if there's anything he fears by now, the lesson is learned. I'm afraid of children with an anointing on their life. I watched David wipe a giant out. I watched Samuel walk in the Holy Ghost. I can't afford to let another Samson come along. I can't afford, he spent Samson's entire life trying to derail that anointed man. I'm telling you, there's a spirit out there right now that says, I'm going to try to kill your babies because they got the answer. I'm going to tell you what the answer is right now. We got a poison pot we're calling the world. And what the Holy Ghost is trying to do. Come up here, brother. Get up here right now. Come on, come on. Come up here. This young man right here, you know what the Holy Ghost is trying to do? It's trying to say, there's a requires a new generation in the hands of ministry please forgive me this is too personal but I started praying a year ago God we're one church and this is a big world this is a big city God send forth labors you know we're going we're we're knocking on doors saturday morning tuesday some on thursday they're out knocking on doors not because it's effective it's knotted but it's sowing because we're reaping where we didn't sow if you want to reap you got to sow you don't always reap where you sow. Don't let the devil lie to you and say you put seed in the ground and nothing happened. He's a liar. If you put seed in the ground, you're involved in the process. And you're going to reap. I said you will reap. Come on, pastor. Keep on knocking doors. Come on, saint of God. Keep on teaching Bible studies. Don't stop sowing. I said, God, if you will raise them up, I will release them. I said, God, not only will I release them, we will support them. We'll get our money behind them. We'll get our prayers behind them. 
We'll help them if you'll send them. And God said, will you? I said, yes. You don't think you're the only parent with dreams? Yeah, I want my kids to be involved in the work of God in my city. Because I'm not done raising him. So I want him right there. And God says, you'll let him? Yeah, I'll let him. Give me your boy. Three weeks ago, he loaded his car up and he drove out. And you know what? As a father, I wasn't happy. But as a pastor, I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. He could be doing so many things. Thank you that he's in your will, God. You know what? I'm preaching to some parents right now. When your kids come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I feel the call. Your daughter may come to you and say, I feel the call to go work in a mission field. I feel to, I feel to connect with a missionary and go overseas. You don't need to look at them and say, come on, baby. It's, it's kind of risky. Yes, it is. But if God be for you. I'm talking to some parents right now. You got to let them go. When your pastor lays hands on them and he starts prophesying over them, don't you fight the will of God. Don't you fight the meal that God's putting in your hand to cure the poison in the pot. I said, don't you curse it. Don't you fight it. You take that meal and you come to the altar and you throw it and you say, God, you gave them to me and I dedicated them to you and they some young men right now and some young ladies it's time for you to obey the call of God I said it's time for you to get up and go it's time for you to get up and preach not only that did you know oh man help me Lord it's not just about a generation going I'm preaching to every apostolic in this building right now. You're the answer. Not just the generation, you're the answer. You know what the answer to sick bodies in this building is right now? You. You are. See, I knew this was going to be a rough one. But I've got to preach it to you. Because right now, if we could all get that revelation, I'm the answer. No, God's not looking for another answer. I'm the answer. God's not raising up another generation. I'm the generation. This isn't waiting on nobody else. This is me right now, right here. Well, when the pastor gets back to us, he'll lay hands on us. And I know God's going to do something. But the same Holy Ghost resides in you. Why don't you just reach over and take him by the hand like Peter did at the gate beautiful. And say, I don't have enough money to pay your medical bills. But what I've got, I'll give unto thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be healed. I'm the answer. I believe it's the will of God in this building right now for there to be miracle signs and wonders. 
I want every man, I'm not discarding the women, but I feel to do this specifically. Every man under 35 that feels the call to preach and your pastor has acknowledged that call. I want you to get out and come stand down here right quick. You feel the call to ministry. You may, you, listen, you may not know what it means, but you just feel that call. And your pastor's looked at you and said, yeah, son, I recognize it. This is worldwide revival. I don't mean to get out of line and, and forgive me if I'm, if I'm doing anything out of order. I'm not. I don't think. But the problem is, in our, in our generation, and I believe in it, we have no problem with spending the last 45 minutes of this service on the altar with tears with the intention of we're going to get up and go do something. But very often, not very often, does someone say, get up here. You're going to lay hands on people today. And God's going to answer your prayers. And you will lay hands on the sick and they will leave this building healed. You will lay hands on people that are taking prescription antidepressant medications. And this will be the last day they ever take them. You will lay hands upon people with infirmities. And they will walk out of here with healing, virtue flowing in their body. You will lay hands upon people that have heart disease. And God will heal their cardiovascular system. You will lay hands upon people with tumors. And tumors will be eradicated without the assistance of radiation or surgery. Because you are the generation that God's wanting to mix into this poison pot. You're the generation that God wanting to raise up that says we've got the answer we are the answer there's not another answer coming God has raised us up God has anointed us to be the answer in this hour if you have sickness in your body would you stand you're sick in your body right now. Arthritis, diabetes, heart disease. It doesn't matter. If you're battling sickness, infirmity in your body, would you stand? Disease, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Stand up. Your thyroid's acting up. Stand up. I believe the Holy Ghost spoke to me last night in the service. He said, I'm going to heal the sick today. God is going to raise up a generation. It's not, let's be honest, God has done many things to help me because I believe God wants to raise up a generation and show them it's in you. You got it. The future looks so good. Can you imagine? I feel so safe right now looking at these young men and I know if I made the petition for young ladies and I'm going to that there would be just as many if not more young ladies standing here saying we're a part of this we feel the call to ministry we don't know what it is but whatever it is when he says it we're going to go we're going to do it we're committed I want you to just remain standing I'm not trying to belabor you and, and make it hard on you today but I want you to remain standing because we're going to pray as a church and right now, with the permission of these men, 
And I'm telling you, you men, you young men, you know whether this is right or not. Do not take advantage of an opportunity without your pastor's covering. We're going to pray. And I want you men to turn around where you stand. And I want you to walk out in this auditorium. And I want you to start laying hands on people. Because you are the answer. You don't have to know fancy prayers. You may never have preached a message. But you've got an anointing on your life. You feel it. You know it. And you're willing to give yourself to God. Some of you probably right now are uncomfortable. That's okay. It's not about us. It's about Him. You're not going to heal anybody. But if we'll be obedient. If we'll be obedient. I'm releasing any minister, any pastor in this building. You turn 